Hello and welcome to another edition of the Tree City Sports Podcast. I'm your host, as usual, Andrew Baker, here with my co-host, as usual, Graham Moen. How's it going, Graham? Like every other year, we have a new head coach for the Browns. That's right, and this one has won the press conference yet again. Yeah, don't they all? The Browns are absolutely kings of winning the NFL press conference. It's uh, it's a tried and true, uh, you know, tradition in Cleveland. So... Last week, you and I both said that we had Josh McDaniels as our preferred candidate. Evidently, the Browns did not hire him because he wanted to make major organizational structural changes. He basically wanted to throw everything out the window that we had and put everything in place that he wanted to do. Well, when you suck for that long, the processes haven't been working, obviously, so I don't blame him for it. Um, I still would have preferred McDaniels. I think he would have brought more accountability and more respectability than the Browns' new head coach, Kevin Stefanski, but I understand why they picked Stefanski. I'm not against the hire. I think he could be a very good coach. I think my number one question is, will the Haslands shut up and get out of the way? It's. I mean, it seems like they kind of did in a way because this is the second time Stefanski's been interviewed in two years for the position, and last year they didn't take Paul DePodesta's advice and hire him or didn't give him the job. They gave Freddie Kitchens, and now they came right back, and it seems like that they're that Jimmy has them starting to give De Podesta a little bit more say in how he's going. And honestly, I heard this on another podcast. It might be good for Jimmy to go against his instinct for once. I mean, uh, generally, anything involving Jimmy Haslam decision-making has been a disaster throughout most of his life, and especially since he's been a Browns owner. Um, so I guess we can talk about Stefanski himself first before we get into De Podesta and other decisions that can be made. So Stefanski is in his late thirties. He's one of the younger head coaches in the NFL, though of late, a lot of younger guys have been getting NFL head coaching jobs. Um, you don't look 37. In, like Shanahan in San Francisco is about his age and he's had great success. McVay, McVay is 32 and has had good success with the Rams. It seems like more and more NFL teams are trending towards younger up and coming candidates. So we said that our priorities were a leader, number one, and someone with experience, number two. The Browns did not get someone who's been an NFL head coach before, but it does seem that Stefanski is thought of as a good leader. I think a lot of that is going to have to play out with time Mm -hmm. because, you know, he's been a coordinator for a year and a half, but he has been groomed at many other positions. He's been in the NFL, you know, most of his adult life. Yeah, he worked for the Vikings for 16 years, and he yeah. coached every offensive position except for, I believe, it was offensive linemen. Yeah. So, I, you know, I think Stefanski's a guy who, you know, is kind of been groomed to be a head coach. Like I said, he's not necessarily the most experienced candidate the Browns could have hired, but I think, you know, it, it just comes down to. Like you said, D Podesta was the guy running this coaching search. He's the, you know, the head of strategy is basically his title. And I think that as long as he's not dictating too much of what goes on on game day, I'm fine with that. I think that in general, D Podesta is a guy who knows how to think through processes and kind of come up with a plan. So I, you know, Stefanski is a hire that I'm, you know, I'm, it's not, it's not my top choice, but it's not something I'm upset about. And also, let's be honest here, you know, no one really knows until we see him coach NFL games. That's the reality. And, you know, we all thought Freddie Kitchens was a decent hire because of the success the offense had, and he was a complete and utter disaster. 
I think Stefanski at minimum will be a significant upgrade on Freddie Kitchens. And it seems, it seems like Stefanski has a chance to get a really good coaching staff around him based off of his connections uh, in his time in the NFL. We can discuss that shortly here. So my overall impression is I think he's he, he, he seems to be uh, a quality person, a quality leader, someone that most players tend to respect, but also someone who isn't maybe as experienced as I would have hoped for. Yeah. Um, what's what's your overall impression? I mean, I think that he's going to be someone that well, that definitely has a lot of reputation in the league for someone that is very good at his job. A lot of people in the NFL have said this is a good hire for the Browns, including um, for what it's worth, former NFL head coach and current ESPN analyst Rex Ryan said this was an excellent hire. Now, and he never and he didn't work with him ever. I mean, he was in Baltimore and the Jets and Buffalo. So it's not like he was working with Stefanski directly. And a lot of people around the league have said that Stefanski has a lot of talent as a leader on top of just being not on top of just being a play caller, which really he only did play call in the last year and a half. So that's not even the forte reason why he was hired. It was really more so about the way that he was able to lead and be able to control the locker room where they, when he was the offensive coordinator, or when he was doing all those different positions, taking care of the quarterbacks or the running backs. I mean, he, it was his, it's his, I think his time in Minnesota, he worked with a lot of those position players and then became an offensive coordinator. And because he spent time getting to know his players, he was able to develop a system that helped Kirk cousins helped unlock Dalvin cook to give their team a little bit more balance. And then also make it. So Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs, their two star wide receivers were able to get, more open and more involved in the passing game along with Kyle Rudolph. So if you look at the Browns like talent wise, they have a lot of similarities to the way the Vikings were with two really good wide receivers, a athletic tight end, a good running back, and then a quarterback that would do better with play action. So I think you can take some of those skills and then add in wrinkles that he, whether it's himself or another offensive coordinator, which we'll talk about shortly that I think he is someone that can lead this team and put them in the positions to where we're not seeing what we saw last year with all the penalties and all of the bad game planning. Those are going to be the things that I think he can really make a big difference with because those small details are going to be big going into those games because clearly we saw Freddie Kitchens was calling sometimes plays that were from previous week game plans as opposed to calling the ones that they ran throughout the week. And that's a big issue. And I think Stefanski is someone that will be more accountable and be able to hold players more accountable as well because of his experience in the NFL. Yeah, I think he'll definitely have a lot more structured offense than Freddie, which is not saying much. So I don't want to just compare him only to Freddie because Freddie is so bad, the bar is so low, that I think it'll be impossible to not improve upon that. I have one brief question before I get into kind of my overview. No other NFL team that had an opening this year or last year interviewed Stefanski. Does that bother you at all? It doesn't bother me as much. It's just something, although it is something to keep an eye on because, you know, last year when we did go for him, I think it was something that was a little bit more, that was somewhat analytics based. And I think you saw that in the fact that Deep Podesta was the one that recommended him on top of Andrew Barry, the former VP of the Browns, having a pretty decent uh, relationship, at least when they met. And John Dorsey got his way. Yeah. And John Dorsey got his way because at the time he had done a good job compiling talent. He had been the person that had kind of started jumpstarting the process. And I think Jimmy Haslam was willing to listen to John Dorsey because he had done such a good job of kind of turning the table around in terms of talent. And then they felt like they'd actually gotten a head coach with that stuff that was going to put it all together. And then we saw it all completely fall apart because Dorsey made major personnel mistakes in terms of holes in the roster. And Freddie wasn't able to maximize the talent from the players or keep them 
accountable for the mistakes they were making, which is why we continued week after week to see wide receivers not lining up correctly, plays not being able to get called and timeouts, uh, roughing the passer penalties for most of the first half of the year. It's just, it's a lot of those things that I think Stefanski will, that even though he hasn't been recommended for a lot of other jobs, from what I've, he does, it looked, those Vikings teams did not have those similar issues. And while Zimmer was the head coach and the buck kind of stopped with him, I think having someone that learned under Zimmer and learning that type of discipline and stuff, along with someone that handles the offense in his own way and is very organized, I think it's a little worrisome, but at the same time, I think I trust his judgment right now because he has shown his ability to work with multiple different personalities and position groups and be successful because he's continued to move up in his 16, with his 16 years with the Vikings. Yeah, it doesn't really bother me that he didn't get other interviews either. It's um, not ideal, but yeah. Yeah, so, you know, the Browns did get their top choice this year. They did. Which has not often happened because the Browns have except been for a Hugh Jackson. league-wide joke. Yeah, except for Hugh Jackson. <laughs> so, my thoughts on Stefanski, I think that what you mentioned about Minnesota's offense being similar to the Browns' offense, I agree with 100%. I think that last year, aside from you know the complete lack of organization and terrible play calling, the Browns were not running a system that fit their personnel last year. I think the Browns last year did a lot of three wide receiver sets, despite the fact they didn't have a third wide receiver they could trust. Or what they wanted to use. Yeah. Hollywood! Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I the Browns... The thing that frustrated me most all year last year was the lack of play action from the offense. And the reason for that is if you have an offensive line that is struggling in pass protection and you're just dropping back with three wide receiver and expecting them to hold up for five seconds, you're asking for for bad results. And if you, And if you have a quarterback that struggles to make multiple reads and you aren't simplifying plays for him, you're asking for trouble. Stefanski's system should be a far better fit for the Browns in these sense. So, number one, he's going to run the ball a lot, and we have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Potentially, yeah. And Nick Chubb is one of the best running backs in the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> and I, he was great. La- the Browns had a terrible offense last year, and Chubb was still dominant. I really think he could be – he could put up monster numbers in a system that's actually designed to use his talents better. And additionally, we saw last year Baker Mayfield really struggled making multiple reads – a lot of times the ball was going to go where it was going to go before the play started, or he kind of scrambled, didn't know what to do. With Stefanski's system, it should be much clearer where the ball will be going, and it should be a one- or two-read system a lot of times where you're establishing the run, or not even establishing the run, but you know, you're know you running the ball in a more organized fashion because the Browns ran the ball quite a bit last year. It just didn't have any flow with the other part of the offense. If, you're, if you have Nick Chubb, you know, Establish the run is an old school NFL term, and I don't necessarily think it has to apply, but I think what has to apply is if you're going to have a great running back, you have to call plays that either A, use him, or B, use him as bait strongly. And last year, the Browns didn't do that. Last year, within the first second of a play, it was pretty damn obvious if the Browns were running or passing. And defenses either just dropped back to cover the pass, or they rushed up to defend the run. There was not a lot of uh, again, this is aside from the complete lack of organization, which was a massive issue. Yeah. There was not a lot of deception. And I think if you're looking at the NFL right now, who are the teams playing for the conference championships? There is the Green Bay Packers, who have Aaron Jones and a great play action system. Yeah, led by there's, Matt LaFleur. There's the, yep, who's a Shanahan disciple. Yep. There's Shanahan himself 
who has a very mediocre quarterback, that it has a dominant defense, a dominant running game, and play action. And there's the Tennessee Titans, who have a running back who is breaking records that have literally never been broken before, despite the fact that no one in the NFL runs this much. And anymore. they also are similarly running a Shanahan type of offense because they're play off- because their offensive coordinator ran a lot of similar stuff this year after Lafleur left to go to the Packers with play action. Yes, and Andy Reid does that as well. And the last team <laughs> does run play action, but also there's Pat Mahomes. A lot of times yeah. they just let him go. And I think what we're seeing is the proliferation of spread offenses has started to slow down because. You know, this is the NFL is cyclical. You know, one team will come out with a system that will become popular. The coaches from that system will spread around. It'll become the main, you know, offense in the NFL, and then defenses will adjust. And I think what we're seeing is defenses have adjusted to the spread offense. And what's happening is now defenses are built smaller. A lot of teams don't really have more than two starting caliber linebackers. They play five defensive backs, you know, 80, 90% of the time. And that's built to stop the spread offense. And a lot of these teams coming in now with a play action are basically just running rough shot over these teams. And that's what the Titans have been doing. I mean, they beat the Patriots and they beat um, the Ravens back to back weeks just by basically just running it down their throats all game. And I don't I'm not saying that the spread offense can't work. What I'm saying is if you don't have an elite quarterback, play action is a tool that can help your quarterback immensely because it can give you that second of hesitation for the defense to where they don't know if you're running or passing. And any I think the best offenses in the NFL right now are built based off deception and based off, you know, a, a specific system of, you know, plays that are, you know, pet plays. And the Browns last year didn't have anything to fall back on. There was, there was no organization. There was no consistency. And under Stefanski, I don't know if he'll be a great leader. I don't know if he's, you know, experienced enough to be a head coach. But what I do know is he has a specific offensive system that he will be installing and it should help Baker Mayfield because it should simplify his reads. It should help Nick Chubb because there's a more specific blocking scheme and the Browns should have an identity and identity is a key word that a lot of people use and sometimes it doesn't really mean anything, but I think in terms of an offense, it's very important to have key principles in the way you run your offense and consistency from play to play where all the players kind of know, okay, this is why we're doing these things. And the Browns didn't have that last year. And like you said, the personnel the Browns have right now, the Browns are going to run a lot of two wide receiver this year. At least they should. Yeah, I, I, you would think. And they have two great receivers. And the Browns mm-hmm. don't have a good third receiver right now. And that is not going to be as important going forward because of Kevin Stefanski's system. And that we have the running backs and we have a quarterback that should ideally be really good in this system. I think one question for me, obviously the offensive line has to improve. We all know that. The blocking schemes should help the offensive line, but the Browns still have – you know, two true NFL starting linemen. We have to get at least two. That that does not matter who the coach is. That's the case. I think the one thing that's a major position of knee going forward for the Browns now is tight end because I think Stefanski's system, it's going to be really important. We've seen, you know, a lot of these teams that run a lot of play action. It's really important to have a tight end that can block and receive the ball. And I don't think that David Njoku is that guy for the Browns. Um, I mean, we didn't, it's, it's kind of unclear what's going to happen with all the guys last year that didn't play just because, again, it, we don't know. It's still so early It's so process. hard to know how much of this was Dorsey basically just not wanting a guy to play, how much this was Kitchens getting a guy in his doghouse. There was no organized, cohesive plan. And that's another thing that we can talk about in a minute here is that's all the Browns have talked about this offseason is having a cohesive plan. And it appears that at least they're going to have that, which is – it seems so obvious to anyone else. But, it, you know, it's – the Haslam's are, you know, not the brightest here. So 
I think tight end is a major need now because I think the Browns need a good two-way tight end. I don't think the Browns tight ends that are currently on their roster are that great. But I'm excited for Stefanski in the sense that we know he has an offensive identity and he has an offensive identity and system that should fit a lot better with the Browns' current personnel. And also is, you know, it's a trend in the NFL right now. And, you know, I think what will be interesting for me is if Stefanski has success initially with his system, you know, if all these teams keep running play action and two tight end and running the ball, eventually, like I said, it's cyclical. The defense will adjust back to that and we'll start going back towards some other system, maybe one that we don't even know right now. So I'm, I'll be interested to see how he can kind of, you know, change his offensive around. But in general, I'm excited to have a coach that has an offensive plan and identity and has one that, quite frankly, fits most of the Browns personnel pretty well right now. I think it's a good plan, but I think also he has to be careful of not it being just a one-to-one thing where you bring in the system you used in Minnesota and assume, okay, I'm just going to run the same system I ran in Minnesota and it's going to work with the Browns because on paper, it looks like that my personnel I have is very similar to what I had in Minnesota. Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham win in different ways on the field than Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen do. Neither of them are really huge deep threats. Of course, Sands, the 45, 50 yard touchdown pass that, uh, Cousins through to Diggs this, the past game against the 49ers. They are not, they win a little bit differently than the players on the Browns. Odell Beckham has elite separation skills. He's able to get downfield. He's able to run any type of route you're asking for. Whereas Jarvis is someone that can run over the middle of the field a little bit more. Thielen did that a little bit, but again, they win in very, they win in different ways along with Dalvin Cook and Nick Chubb. Dalvin Cook's the kind of guy that's more of like the side to side agility than being able to burst, whereas Nick Chubb's more of a downhill runner that is able to make cuts. So I think it's important that he has a, a, a clear offensive identity, and I think they're similar. I just hope that he's we don't get back into another cycle of this has to fit the offense that I want to run or sure. you're not going to work. Because that's the problem we ran into with Hugh, and then this past time we didn't have enough structure. So there needs to be a, a, a balancing act of making sure that you run a system that you know, you're familiar with, but also one that's going to maximize the players. Cause while they are similar, if you try to run the exact same system and you just go do a one-to-one cookie cutter thing where you take Minnesota's playbook basically and give it to the Browns, that's not always going to work. And very rarely does that actually work. Sure. I do think that it should help OBJ a lot this Absolutely. year. I mean, again, almost any other head coach would be better for Baker Mayfield, Odo, Odo Beckham and the offense in general, because Freddie was a complete disaster last year. So I, I don't want to give Stefanski too much credit when he hasn't even done, any, done anything yet, but it's going to be an upgrade. Yeah, I think one thing that excites me about Stefanski is he has worked under a lot of different NFL coaches. And he's been in Minnesota the whole time, but he's worked under many different styles of coaching. And so I think that his ability to kind of learn from all those different coaches and kind of you know show him that there are different ways to get it done and adaptability is important because I agree hundred percent having the system that you run is very, very important, but you adaptability is also very important because like I said, the NFL is constantly changing and mm-hmm. adapting and there are teams will always adjust to what you do. And when they adjust, you have to be able to adapt to, you know, fix those adjustments and right. keep the system going. One thing that I'm really excited about first Stefanski is I think the Browns are going to be able to assemble a really good staff. Yeah. Most people that have worked, you mentioned Rex Ryan, who's never even worked with him, but most people that have worked with Stefanski seem to really, really respect him and really like working for him and with him. Even Gary Kubiak? Yeah. So I think that he'll be able to assemble, you know, there's a lot of rumors right now about coordinators um, on both sides of the ball and assistants, but 
I think that Stefanski should be, I think the staff he assembles will be very important, but I'm also very optimistic about the staff he does assemble. And I think, you know, last year with Freddie, we saw, you know, the staff that wasn't really picked by him, a lot of them. And the same thing kind of happened with Hugh Jackson, with Todd Haley. I think it's very clear that, you know, again, the Browns want, you know, kind of a top-down mentality, and that's good. But I think Stefanski, even though he's a first-time head coach and a younger guy, I think he has enough respect around the league that he should be able to get quality coordinators and quality kind of mentors on his coaching staff. I mean, like, so offensively, who are the kind of candidates that, you know, he would have as an offensive coordinator? Well, right now it looks like that he is looking at the two San Francisco coordinators, the passing game and run game coordinator. There is Mike LaFleur and then Mike McDaniel. Mike LaFleur is the younger brother of Matt LaFleur, the Titans head coach. And then I don't know anything about Mike McDaniel, but those two guys work in tandem to help execute the offense or plan the offense and execute the offense that Kyle Shanahan is running because he's the one calling the play. So these guys don't have play calling experience, but they are very well highly thought of. They haven't coached with each other at any point in their careers, but they do do things in the offseason together. They have a program where they work together, so they are familiar with each other. And they have relatively similar offensive styles. Yes, and that's the reason why Stefanski brought in Gary Kubiak last year because he wanted to install an offense similar to San Francisco, and Gary Kubiak was underneath Mike Shanahan, so they ran a very similar offense for a lot of time. So that offense that makes sense that those two would have that experience along with Mike LaFleur, who's learned under Shanahan and his own brother and um, all those people that have run that type of system. So I think that's a big thing. I think either of those two guys would be good in terms of having similar ideas on how they want to attack the offense. So I think that would be good. I don't know if you can tell, you know, pass game, run game coordinator, whether one would lean more so than the other. I doubt it. I think that's just their title, but, and it would be interesting to see that them call plays or if Stefanski would be the one to call plays, I really would prefer someone that knows what they're that knows how to call plays because I don't want Stefanski to call plays because we've seen what happens the last two times the Browns have had a head coach that calls plays, especially when he's a first time head coach. Now that's not the same for every single person because Kyle Shanahan's been able to do it rather successfully and and Matt Mike Lafleur or Matt Lafleur and uh, Nagy were able to do it pretty well as well. However, that doesn't mean that you can't you don't want somebody, especially as a first time head coach at thirty seven, to have an experienced offensive assistant. That can help you. Maybe even Gary Kubiak, even if he's not the offensive coordinator, maybe he can bring him over to the Browns in a similar role where he's an off, high, a senior offensive assistant and able to help put the offense in place and be in the meetings like he was this year. Because I think that was a big help to Stefanski and helping develop Kirk Cousins' talent or the offense around Kirk Cousins and all those weapons in Minnesota. Yeah, I think if you get one of the 49ers guys and you're led by a younger Stefanski and a younger coordinator and you have a Kubiak as an advisor, that is really ideal. And maybe the Vikings yeah. keep Kubiak and just make him their offensive coordinator. If he wants it, It though. seems for the most part that he's kind of moved past that. I don't think he wants to be a high-ranking right. uh, coach anymore because he's had those issues when he was the coach of the Texans with the seizures and health right. issues. And it took a long – and then it, for a while he was scouting a little bit for the Broncos and then he came over here – I, I agree with you. I think it would be – I don't know if he wants to take on that heavy of a role again. Hey, and maybe one of the 49ers guys will only come here if he's calling plays. That could also be a possibility. Yeah. I also would agree I would tr- I would kind of lean towards Stefanski not calling plays. But, you know, if you get a really good defensive coordinator and you have strong offensive assistance, and also the Browns are going to have an analytics guy – who can talk directly to Stefanski during games, which a lot of people have mocked, but I think that a lot of great NFL teams do that. And I think that, 
you know, this is, we can talk about the whole De Podesta and analytics thing, but I think that if you have a guy who's there to just basically tell Stefanski, hey, look, the numbers say this in this decision, that's going to just help him make decisions quicker during a game. And I think that if he is going to call plays, if he has an experienced staff around him and he has that kind of analytics guy to help him make in-game decisions, then I, I think that calling plays may be something he can do as a head coach. So I'm kind of open to either. Mm-hmm. Defensively, you know, there's a lot of names that have been thrown around, including um, the Broncos, or not the Broncos, the uh, the Vikings defense coordinator from last year uh, left the team because Mike Zimmer. Was George Edwards? Yeah, Mike Zimmer wouldn't let him call plays. He's got a pretty good reputation. There's also Wade Phillips, who is, quite frankly, incredible. And I he love would Wade probably Phillips. be the best option because he Agreed. has experience multiple years experience no no disrespect to Wilkes but he has multiple years experience as a head coach he has been a defensive coordinator in multiple places for a number of years and he was a lot of the reason the Rams made it to the Super Bowl when when they did two years ago because of being able to have the defensive side of the ball completely handled while McVay was able to run the rest of the offense yeah I mean he just got fired from the Rams their top 10 defense this year it was not the the offense was the reason the Rams offensive line specifically yeah and the running game without Todd Gurley I would love Wade Phillips yeah and he runs his very he runs a somewhat different system he runs something that's called a 4-3 under which 4-3 is just a defensive scheme it's usually that means four defensive linemen three linebackers however that they there's different formations so one of them could be this formation would be having one of the four guys standing up and rushing the passer. Sometimes, sometimes he'd have his hand in the ground. Uh, I think we have two guys on the edge that can handle that pretty well with Olivier Vernon and miles Garrett. They both have shown the ability to stand up and rush the passer if need be. And they've also been able to put their hand in the ground and win. So I think people worried about any type of scheme change like that. Obviously that's going to be a little bit different, but I think the defense that the Rams ran was very much a turnover based and also able to get pressure on the quarterback. And that's the type of defense you have to kind of run in today's NFL. Well, and also I I think that he is so experienced that yes, he will adapt his defense to his players. He's not going to say you have to do this. You have to do that. Right. I think he's, he's run so many defenses in his lifetime and he has so much experience doing it that I think that he is. And again, I, I think it's really important for NFL coaches, like you said earlier to fit, not just a system, you know, not just have a system, but also be able to fit talent into your system and adapt your system. And I think that if anyone's going to be able to do that with the Browns defense is Wade Phillips. Yeah, I think I would, I have a couple kind of just random quick hit questions before we get to kind of like an organizational overview here. So number one, would you prefer to retain Wilkes or move on from him? Well, from what I, from what apparently according to cleveland.com, Wilkes was going to be one of the candidates for defensive coordinator last year had Stefanski been hired. So I don't know what they're from, how they know each other. I don't know what their familiarity is with each other because I don't think Wilkes ever worked for the Vikings. If he did, it was must have been many years ago because I really just know him from Carolina. Um, but Wilkes was somebody that was considered for the defensive coordinator position, so there is a chance he could stay. I mean, the Browns' defense until they pretty much got decimated by injury, they weren't great, but they weren't terrible. They weren't losing the game for the Browns. And there was a stretch in the middle of the season. We were starting to pick it up a bit that the defense started promising. But after that Steelers game with Miles Garrett going out, and then of course, Olivier Vernon missing most of the rest of the last year, and then losing all of our safeties. That's not an excuse, but I wouldn't be upset if we lost Wilkes. But at the same time, I don't think I'd be too upset either if Stefanski comes in and says, we're not hiring another defensive coordinator. We're keeping Wilkes for another year. I think I would prefer to get a new one, especially, especially if it's Wade Phillips. Yes, if or, he is, or, or even, or even maybe Edwards for the Vikings. I think, but I, you know, because Wilkes, I think the, the things about Wilkes that concern me is, 
I agree that the, the defense was pretty good before it had massive injuries. And a lot of that defense relied so much on Miles Garrett. They did, there did not a lot of other sources of pressure. Um, but I think Denzel Ward and Greedy Williams really were really inconsistent. I think a yeah. lot of that was based off the scheme. So I would have liked to see a little more adaptability. Um, that's, and that's but, fair. But, you know, Wilkes has a great reputation as a coordinator. And last year, the defense was solid before injuries. So I wouldn't be mad. I think I'd prefer anytime you're looking at Wade Phillips, there's just not a lot of better candidates for a defense. So I think I'd prefer Wade Phillips. I think, you know, Wilkes is, is fine. I wouldn't be upset if they kept him. They could always move on after next year if it doesn't work out. So your thoughts on the process of this, the process that the Haslam's ran, Paul D. Podesta, hiring a coach before a GM, all that stuff. And I mean, we have many more holes to fill that we'll discuss on later podcasts, including front office. But now that the Browns have hired a coach and the drama, at least for now, is over, what are your thoughts on, again, a lot of what we're seeing is A, rumors, or B, weekly sourced information. But yeah. there is some information out there from good sources about how the process went down. Now that you've seen it play out and the coach is hired, what are your thoughts about it? I mean, it definitely seems like that Paul DePodesta was the one that was really kind of spearheading a lot of these interviews. I think the Haslam's obviously were in there because they're the owners and they are entitled to be in that room during interviews since at the end of the day, that is the money that they're spending. So, but I think they, instead of being the ones that were kind of leading the process, they left it up to Paul DePodesta and some of their other strategy officers that could actually talk through. There's probably also some people with football experience as well, I hope but able to talk through and really have an idea of what the vision is going to be. They're going to have an idea. They talk probably a lot of coaching interviews. They talk about potential staff as well, because it's really hard to hire a head coach or guys, head coach. If you don't really think he's going to get good people to come with him, because then if you hire him with a weak staff, you're just putting yourself in a worse position, which happened for the Browns for a lot of years when we had the seventh or eighth choice of coaches. But I think that's something that we really have to be wary of. But at the same time, I think it was good that D Podesta, was the one kind of not spearheading it, but kind of allowed to see the interview through and the processes were good. They interviewed several people of several different backgrounds. I mean, they interviewed Brian Dable as an offense for the head coaching job because he has vet, he has experience elsewhere. He, and he's been a good offensive coordinator for the bills this past year. They interviewed along with Stefanski. They hired, they, they went for previous head coaches like Mike McCarthy, but he decided to sign with the Cowboys. They went around a lot of different avenues, offensive minds, defensive minds, Robert Salah being one of the two finalists, it seems like for the job. From what I heard, McDaniels was the third choice for the job after they had their meeting because it didn't seem like they were going to be aligned. So Salah made it really difficult on the Browns for making this decision. He, and then along with, so there's been a lot of different things as opposed to okay, well, we're just going to go for the offensive-minded guy because we need someone to pair with Baker. While we ended up with a coordinator that happens to be, was an offensive coordinator, I think that he is, A, he played defensive back in college, so he understands defense to some extent, and B, he has been a coach in the NFL for 16 years working in the same organization that has been known as one of the better organizations in football and from an organizational standpoint in the Minnesota Vikings. And I think that's going to be really helpful because I think that process a lot that they did for the head coach shows that they are willing to be thorough and now they can take their time to find the next general manager of the team as well. And there's a lot of good general manager candidates that I think they need to handle in a similar fashion. George Patton, the assistant general manager of the Minnesota Vikings would be an amazing hire. He's been 
the Jets tried to hire him three different times and he denied each interview by them. Also, former Browns vice president, we talked about him, Andrew Barry might be coming back to the Browns because he had a pretty decent relationship with Stefanski, at least in passing. And he knows a lot of what's going on in the building. He was only with he was only with the Eagles this past season. He was with the Browns for, I think, four, three or four years running several different things. The only downside about it is that with him, with these type of searches, you now have to find out what type of balance you want to have. Because before the Browns had a very big football guy on their staff. And then before then they had analytics, they have to find someone like Andrew's talked about in the previous podcast to mix those in between because, and Andrew Barry was part of those staffs that were, you know, a little bit more analytical. So some Browns fans might, you know, have an issue with that on top of the fact that he's never been a scout. He's always just been someone that's kind of, you know, been a talent evaluator, like the pro side and things like that. So that could be a little worrisome because you don't have like a really top football guy as you're not as your GM. And that, and at the end of the day, the GM and the head coach need to work together to build that roster. So I think it's, I think this process is good to see because I think it's going to reflect the rest of how the Browns are going to fill out the rest of their staff. And this, and I think that process was thorough. And also I think the statements that were made afterwards make sense. I don't agree with necessarily everything that ha- that Haslam is doing, but I think that after so many years of seeing the Browns having no structure and no type of accountability, I do think some of these things that were put in place in the process and during the coaching search are going to be incredibly helpful. Yeah. So I agree with most of what you said. Um, I don't need to elaborate a whole lot. Cause I think what you said is, is pretty close to my opinion. I think that it's, it's no surprise that McDaniels wasn't the number one choice of Paul D Podesta because McDaniels didn't want Paul D Podesta yeah. to be on the, on a part of the team anymore. Yeah. So of course he wasn't going to recommend him. I think that the fact that Stefanski was the number one choice of De Podesta last year and De Podesta was leading this group made it to where he was kind of the favorite. Yeah. Um, but Salah came in at the end and he yeah. almost swung it the other well, way. I, I think that, th- I think the fact that they had a pretty good idea, they wanted Stefanski from the jump and still interviewed all these candidates and spent a lot of time thinking through, okay, if we hire this guy, this can be a front office move. This can be coordinator moves. They spent a lot of time thinking about, these are how the pieces could come together. That seems like they're having a much more cohesive process. And again, it's hard to not have a more cohesive process because of how trash this team has been for so <laughs> long. I think that overall, you know, again, with the analytics thing, analytics are mocked endlessly by people who watch football. Oh, just what the nerds say. But you know what? Quite frankly, analytics are extremely useful and extremely important. And the number one most important thing about statistics and numbers is acknowledging that they are not how you make decisions. They are a tool to help you make decisions. Deciphering what the numbers mean and what they tell you and how to use them is far more important than anything else because every team has stats and access to stats and every team has a guy that will say, this probability is this. The important thing to do is figure out why the numbers are what they are and how to use them to gain an advantage. And I think that Stefanski being open to that is is a good thing. And I think that Paul D. Podesta, as much as he's been mocked on Twitter by random Browns fans that just want to drink beer and get drunk every Sunday watching the Browns, I think that D. Podesta is a really brilliant guy. And I think that in terms of putting together a plan, he is a guy that I would be very comfortable with in that role. And I think that as long as he takes a step back now to where he's not 
you know, having too much power. There's a couple things that concern me. So, and again, a lot of this is reported by real reporters on Twitter, but we have to take it with a grain of salt because yeah. th- let's be honest, media, the media coverage of the Browns is toxic. Yeah. The Cleveland media is, sorry guys, you're, you're very toxic at your job. Yes, they are. And look, when a team has been trash for 20 goddamn years, I get it. Okay. But it does not mean, and look, until the Browns prove they're not trash, most people are going to think they're trash. And I don't blame them for that. Yeah. But at the same time, just because Freddie Kitchens was a mistake does not mean Stefanski will be a mistake. I'm not saying what Stefanski will or will not succeed. I'm just saying at least now the Browns have a cohesive thought process. It's not guaranteed to work because it's still the Browns. Yeah. Okay. And anything involving the Haslam's is terrifying. But I think this time the Haslam's took a backseat to Deep Podesta. And I think in terms of planning and team building, D Podesta is clearly massively superior to the Haslam's in every yeah. regard. And I think the one thing that scares me is there was a report that Stefanski agreed to turn in his game plans to the Haslam's on Friday and then have a two-hour meeting with the Haslam's every Monday after games. And again, Cleveland media is toxic and they love to see this team fail. A lot of people have made a lot of money because the Browns suck in the Cleveland media and quite frankly aren't good enough their jobs to do anything other than rip the team constantly. Looking at you, Tony Grossi. Yes. And so with that you know, being said, if Haslam really is trying to stay involved in the football operations, that's very concerning to me because quite frankly, I don't think anyone – should give a shit what Jimmy Haslam thinks about anything that goes on on the football field besides winning and losing. Okay. I think that the process has been far superior to any process we've seen from the Browns before. And that's very encouraging. And having a cohesive vision is once again, you would think one of the most basic tenets of building a team or any organization. And the Browns have not done that. And that's why the Browns are a joke. So at least they have that now, which again, it's baby steps. It's a no shit type of thing, but at least they have it now. So I think yeah. the process I've been mostly encouraged by, I just hope that the Haslam's can just, especially Jimmy, just Jimmy's like the Homer Simpson of the Browns. Okay. Just, just go away. Yeah. Just sit there and be rich and shut up. Okay. Yeah. So as long as a lot of these, you know, again, it's Twitter rumors. It is what it is. Some of it's true. Some of it's not. That's how, that's how everything is in the world as long as Haslam doesn't have too much influence over what goes on in football operations, then so far I'm pretty encouraged. Yeah. I just worry that it's the Haslam's, you know, at least this time, the last thing I'll say is at least this time the Browns made, I think it's smart that they made a decision this time to hire the head coach first and then hire the GM because now there's no excuse for, well, he did this and he did this. You guys are all in this together. You are all in lockstep. You were all on even playing field. If this goes wrong, you are all getting fired and we can all, I think at least for me personally, I can feel a little bit more comfortable knowing that if these guys all fail, they are all going to go. It's not going to be, okay, well, we're going to get rid of Stefanski, but we're going to keep the GM and let him pick his head coach. And And force the defense coordinator on him. Yeah, and do what we've been doing for the last five, six years as Browns. So I think that the fact that they're in lockstep in that thing is super important because I really think it needs to be all for one, one for all. I know it's kind of cheesy, but at the same time, if one guy, if the entire team isn't doing well, then the entire front office and coaching staff needs to be held accountable along with the players. Yeah. And I think that's why John Dorsey's gone. Yep. Is because it was obvious that the organization, the Browns had, 
there was so, uh, there was just there was infighting, there was arguments, there was a lack of vision, and that's the Browns have said that over and over again. Everyone's been beat over the head with this by now, but it's also true. And maybe, and maybe, and I don't know this to this to be true. He, it's never been said, but maybe when Dorsey took the job and he thought, okay, this franchise has been crap for years. This is a place where I can really have a lot of control yeah. because I've made a, I have a really good resume and I've done all this. Oh, and it's also obvious that Di Podesta and Dorsey didn't really get along. No, because Dorsey one was of those, all about so one of those football. two guys had to go. Yeah, and Dorsey was all about the football and not really about analytics. Which look, he drafted a lot of good players. He whiffed on a lot of players too. So I and a lot of important positions too that that now the Browns still have holes a couple of years later. So I think this process has gone a lot better, like Andrew said. And I think at this point, only time's really going to tell. We're not going to win. We're not going to learn anything about the Browns until Week One of next season. Well, look, I mean, Jimmy Haslam and Freddie Kitchens and John Dorsey. All the drama is gone now for the most part. And you know, I, you know. Lizzo said it best. New man on the Minnesota Vikings. Truth hurts. I needed something more exciting. And the Browns needed something more exciting and a more cohesive vision. And they have it now. So we will leave you with the great words of Lizzo. We'll be back uh, to podcast once the Browns have filled out their coaching staff in front office. For now, I am cautiously optimistic with the only issue being that Jimmy Haslam is still running the team. Or if uh, John Beeline forgets about his slugs again. I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, I mean, thugs. I mean, I mean, slugs. I mean, all right. All right. <laughs> Look, I was watching the Cavs-Lakers game last night, and they lost by 30, despite the fact they were tied at halftime. The first half was great. Tristan Thompson was d up LeBron. Darius Garland is really progressing. And then yes. Colin Sexton just ran down the court and got blocked four times in a row and blew a defensive assignment. And I just hate it. I just I hate him. I, I try not to blame him for everything. But I he just like When you have four players that are all playing in the same mindset, then he's just out there. Like, it's just... So rest be assured, we will update you on the Cavs soon because oh, there's going to be a lot of stuff to talk about. Like Andrew said, the improvements of Darius Garland, the team itself, Tristan Thompson's Tristan Thompson's breakout. career high. By the way, Tristan Thompson needs to be a Cav for life. He just needs to be. Okay? They need to have an adult in the room, and that's Tristan Thompson. <laughs> Never Following thought I'd be Browns. saying that. Never thought I'd be saying that. Yeah. But. All right. So we'll leave you with Tristan Thompson and Lizzo. <laughs> we'll talk to you guys later. Peace. Peace.